Hey friends, welcome back to the OrthoTalk Podcast. This is episode number 11. This week we have Akil Sharma. Akil is a fourth-year medical student who has had a little bit of an interesting path. He decided to take a year in between his third and fourth year of medical school to do a research year to make his application a little stronger. And we talked about that on the podcast. Also talked about how he's handling away rotations and interviewing during the COVID era, as well as tips uh, on how to ace your orthopedic rotation. So there's a little bit in here for everyone, from medical students all the way to seasoned orthopedists dealing with medical students. So take a listen. Hope you enjoy. Without further ado, Akil Sharma. Hey, can we time out? All right. All good dudes. Stop what you're doing. This is time out. This is the OrthoTalk podcast. Today we are doing a real conversation with an illustrious guest. Surgeons today are Asit Khalid and Jay Chen. Antibiotics, ANSEF, of course. What do we even ask? Fire risk, high due to lit conversations and explosive topics. Any questions or concerns? Nope. All right, we can go. Incision. Welcome to the Ortho Top Podcast. This week we've got a very special guest, um, Akil, the real deal, Sharma. He's a uh, medical student that I got to know very well over the course of the last year. We were on a lot of research projects together, and he took a, a research year. So we're really lucky to have him here to talk about what it's like uh, for medical students this year. He's an MS4, and he's going through the whole application process, which due to COVID is a completely different thing than any of us have ever been used to. So, so Keel, how are you doing? What was, what was your uh, research year like? Hey, I'm good. Uh, it was good. It was really good, man. Um, it was definitely a very big uh, change from the normal medical student, like clinical side of things, like seeing patients, uh, presenting to attendings, like hanging out with other med students. It was kind of uh, a big change, uh, definitely a big change of pace. Uh, but I think overall it was very good. Uh, definitely made me appreciate uh, what we go through every day in the wards. Uh, made me appreciate the academic side of medicine a lot more than I did uh, just as a MS1 to 3. Uh, and overall, it gave me, I think, a little more uh, sense of what being an academic is like and uh, makes me a lot more uh, ready to come back and just wrap up fourth year and apply for residency. Akil, I've always I've wondered the entire year as I'm operating and you're standing there not able to scrub in. And I just look at you and I'm like, wow, this has got to be really tough. Like you're just <laughs> watching all these cases and you're not even able to like come in and close. But you're you're super diligent about it. So any program directors out there, Keel is the real deal. But um, that was, what was that like? Like just kind of watching the whole year. Yeah, it was definitely a, a definitely a change of uh, pace again. Like I kept saying, because uh, so my end of my third year rotations, I was actually on my surgery rotation. And so for two months, I was just scrubbing in multiple times a day for many different cases. Uh, including uh, general surgery trauma cases, vascular cases, things like that. Um, and then immediately going from that to just kind of like standing in the back with your iPhone, um, trying not to break sterile field and taking photos for a year. Uh, it's very different, but I think it was one of those things where you kind of realize like the bigger picture. And so, you know, that this is a temporary thing that you're doing. Um, and then the, you're doing it for a good reason. And that case, in our case, it was uh, for research and for manuscripts and just for outcome studies. Um, and you just kind of realize, like, you know, I think it's a big exercise in patience. And so I think uh, 
you know, if you know that the end result is worth it, that kind of just helps you do it day by day. So, so your research year was after third year? Yeah. So I did. Between uh, fourth year. Exactly. Interesting. Is that, is that like specific to your med school or is that something to. Uh, no. So I think uh, this is a more and more common thing now where people want to get their, obviously their first years and then step one. Right. And, and while that's still kind of fresh in their head, uh, jump into their clinical year, uh, hold on to all that medical knowledge, go and do their clinical uh, rotations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you've made sure that you did your best in those three years, uh, since fourth year is mostly uh, geared toward application and kind of wrapping up the one or like the three or four core electives you have left, uh, and that sort of creates a perfect opportunity in order to take a year off for whatever reason, gotcha. another degree or research or whatever. I've heard this happening really commonly as well. Also, I've had students ask me like, oh, what do you think about, you know, taking a year off? Like, what would your advice be? And um, this wasn't as common of a thing when I was going through, I don't think. Yeah, right, not, for like, yeah not for me either. Or, you know, Akil, what do you, do you think, uh, why do you think this is becoming more common? And who do you think should do what you did? Like, do you, who would benefit from having a year off of your research? Because I don't really know what to tell these students who ask me. So what do you think? Yeah, uh, so I think it depends on the student's goals. So, for example, um, if you have a lot of people applying, and obviously every single year more and more people are applying for every single field, but especially orthopedics. Um, And so students are trying to figure out ways to help their application really stand out um, or ways to get uh, mentorship that uh, they might not have just gotten going through the motion the first three years. Um, I think a good way to do that and try to build that network and kind of get a real sense of exposure of what uh, orthopedics is like outside of whatever rotations you have in your med school is to kind of uh, make that investment in yourself and uh, take a year and do something that you're not necessarily comfortable with or not necessarily exposed to. Um, and, you know, go find a mentor or have someone that you know at your home institution find a mentor for you and reach out to that person. Um, and then just start uh, doing uh, a research year with them. And I think people who really would benefit from this are people who uh, want to go into academics in the future um, or people who just haven't had as much research exposure in the past because they were just trying to get like a good step score or a good step two score uh, and now are finding themselves uh, kind of at like uh, a loss of like what they can do to really help themselves uh, stand out. Yeah, I've read like, but the average number of research projects that people who match have nowadays is like, what, eight or nine or something? Yeah, what I, was, I was literally about to try looking up that study. I know I know exactly which one you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, it's something absurd. I had a, I had one. Here, here it is. It's, it was an AOA critical issues paper. Yeah, um, what's it say? It said uh, 15.6 publications among students who matched into ortho versus 10.9 amongst those who didn't. Uh, Jay, guess how many I had when I applied? Oh, I know you had zero and you still have zero. zero. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got two now. But, <laughs> I um, had zero. I, uh, no, when I, when I went through one project, you know, I presented it at like um, a, a local meeting, but I had zero actual publications. But yeah. that paper, I think that's, that counts ERAS publications, right? So that's yeah, not like yeah. actually. Yeah, if you, if you read, it, read it a little closer, uh, it, those numbers are a little misleading. It, it's really unmatched applicants start with basically five to six publications and increase to 15 and then matched versus like 11 for those that don't. So 
um, it, the, the cohort's a little different. It's not all people trying to match an ortho. It's people who didn't match the first time and then must have done a research year after. But also, like, they're, they're not, like, it's not, like, 15 peer-reviewed papers. Right, right. It's, like, if you do, like, a presentation. So if I do one project and I present at Western Ortho, I present at my medical school, I present yeah. at AO, AOSS, AOS, and then put an ankle meeting, that's actually, like, four publications for one project. Yeah. And none of them are actually real publications. Right, right, right. So, right. It's just how many times you talk so, about something. Yeah. Yeah, so I've always, you know, students who, who know this stat, who, you know, they think, oh, my gosh, I've got to get 20 papers done. Um, really, you just get, like, a few done, and you just milk it by saying it everywhere. And, you know, that's what everyone seems to be doing. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's as crazy as, as that paper would suggest. Um, but, anyway, Akil, didn't you have, like, 30 projects this year or something? So I think you're, you're straight on that. In terms of like overall projects, I think I had about 31 or 32. And then in terms of all the um, other numbers you're mentioning, like presentations or abstracts submitted or um, anything else that can qualify as a presentation or something, uh, I think my numbers were almost double that. So it was uh, it's definitely, a, it's definitely like what you're describing is like a sort of a game to like the whole system. And uh, whether that's good or bad is up for anyone's discretion. But I think, uh, especially now that you're mentioning, because back when I started med school, I think the average uh, number of overall publications and stuff like that for accepted applicants was supposed to be like five or six. Yeah. And now yeah. it almost double that, right? And so yeah. you see what I'm talking about with uh, the landscape just changing all the time. Yeah. More yeah. And, more and so I think everything is about trying to find whatever you can do to try to maximize your chances um, and get to grow your network that way. Yeah, when when I applied, a lot of this stuff was more like checking the box, you know, like they, nobody, unless you're trying to get into like a, you know, HSS or something like that, um, nobody really cared how many publications you had as long as you did something, right? Nobody really cared what your GPA was as long as it was above something, but now right. it's, it's, it's gotten crazy. Like it, it's pretty, pretty competitive. Yeah, I, I, de I, I definitely, I definitely wouldn't match if I, I had to apply again. Like, I mean, obviously my preparation would be different, but like, I don't know, with, with my application, it would not match this, like if I had to apply this cycle. I feel like the, uh, the equalizer was always, if you could knock out one sub-I at one place, it didn't matter what the rest of your application really looked like. You could have like 250 steps, or you could have, you know, no honors or whatever. You could have zero publications, but if you rotate at one program and you just killed it for a month and the attendees and students vouch for you that would be your golden ticket and you only needed one i know people that literally matched in orthopedics with only two interviews um, i know two people that have done that um so that's what it used to be but now now it's all different with with covid so i don't know it's really hard to imagine what's like for people in your shoes this year akil because you guys you know why don't you talk about where what you're able to do as a student in terms of rotations yeah, um, so you're absolutely right that uh, this whole uh, COVID uh, situation has definitely messed with the uh, traditional way that people would go through the application cycle. Um, so, for example, back in like February, uh, we had VSAS open up, which was like the uh, virtual, I mean, the, sorry, the yeah. visit application system. Um, and so through that, a lot of us in the U.S. medical schools had went ahead and sort of apply to these away rotations uh, and usually depending on your school that's between two three or four uh, aways 
And so obviously the goal of that is to try to maximize your uh, exposure to other programs and try to get to, uh, you know, uh, figure out what places are like, try to get your name out there to see if people were going to take a chance on you in an outside program. Um, and this overall, like grow your skills in orthopedics. Right. And so I think a lot of us were hoping for that. And then when COVID sort of came around and, and stuck around, uh, we had to sort of, uh, change the rules. And so a lot of medical schools, including Miami, decided that they were not going to uh, have away rotations. And so while that did obviously stink, uh, the sort of uh, compromise that a lot of places came up with is that, oh, your home institution, if it has a capability, we're going to sort of ramp up the electives or the sub-I weeks that we have at our own home institution. So you're able to kind of make up for the number of weeks that you're missing out on ortho exposure. And so uh, I think at Miami, at least, they tried to give us six to eight weeks of electives for orthopedics along with our four-week sub-I. But then even that uh, is changing now with everything changing. And right now, Miami looks like it's the epicenter of this disease. So, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because of that, now we had this whole, like, back and forth about our students even going to be allowed to go back to the hospital. And literally up until last week, the answer was no. Um, wow. Now the answer is yes again. Uh, and so I feel like it's just changing week by week as we start to learn more about ways we're dealing with the disease. Um, and so now, just actually a few days ago, Miami reversed their policy and they're like, oh, oh now you guys can go ahead and go on aware rotations. Except for a few weeks because now our schedule has fluctuated yeah. so much. A lot of us have rearranged everything on the assumption that we wouldn't be having the ways. Uh, and then also the fact that it's kind of late in the cycle now to be applying for our rotations and a lot of schools still don't have them available. Right. Um, and so that creates a whole host of problems to navigate around. And so I think what most students are doing are trying to make the most of the experience that they have in their home program, as well as now taking advantage of the, uh, virtual ways. I don't know if you guys heard about that. Yeah, I've heard about them a little bit. Um, I may or may not be involved in putting together something, um, but um, what it's really interesting. So I, I've got kind of conflicting thoughts on on that. Um, so here's 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 what I kind of think. So before when when I went through with Mo, you know, we would do our home rotation maybe two or three months away. So we're looking at three or four months of orthopedics. We're we're going hard. Um, I think the thought is that they're doing these virtual uh, rotations or virtual meetings, whatever you want to call them, and a lot of program them. And it's, it's a good thing in theory because you guys get to see the program. They get to see you. You guys can ask each other questions. And they, some of them do it in a teaching format, so you guys get to learn some orthopedics. But then my, here's my main concern is that you guys are sitting at home. You guys are doing. You guys are three months just at your program, but you guys are gonna. You guys are gonna have the pressure of that, and now there's an additional pressure to be present at as many online meetings as you can. Uh, so I think it's a great idea in theory. It's it's helpful in theory, but my only worry is students are just are gonna be so overwhelmed now. It's like oh, we gotta bust our butt, 80 hours, 100 hours this week in the hospital, and five nights a week or however many nights I gotta go. Gotta go look at this program and this program and this program. Um, so I think it's just, it's adding a lot more work than uh, maybe it's an unintended consequence. Yeah. I don't know, are students being stressed out about how much they're having to do now? 
so yeah, I think you brought up a lot of great concerns that definitely a lot of students that I've interacted with at least have uh, brought up. Um, and so, yeah, I think virtual ways have the benefit of ease of access, right? So you can pretty much access it from your own house, from your own apartment. Uh, you don't have to pay for it in most cases. Um, so you save money that way. Uh, it's usually flexible scheduling if it's something that's like a recorded thing. Um, so those are all great signs, right? Except the downside is that, uh, like I said, a lot of students uh, in med schools across the country have already readjusted to their uh, fourth year schedule, kind of thinking we're not gonna have away rotations. Uh, and so based on that, they rescheduled everything to get their core electives or core rotations out of the way, in most cases early, because there's no need to keep them to hold off after ways anymore because you're not spending months at a time outside your own institution. Um, and so now that most schools are rolling out these new, or a lot of schools are rolling out these new virtual OAs, it creates a conflict, right, of I'm really interested in, say, X program, and X program has weekly meetings every, like, Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening. But Wednesday afternoon or evening, I'm in the ortho pit or I'm yeah. on the floor or I'm in the ER for my shift. And yep. unfortunately, I can't be there. Or I am there, but I'm also present on like the other uh, yeah. other schools weekly thing on yeah. Thursdays or Saturdays. And then other schools have virtual research aways, which are not actual yeah. aways. It's like, oh, here's a chance to try to mingle with some of the residents and get some FaceTime in and work on, you know, manuscripts, which is great. But it's also kind of like... <laughs> One, there's no screen, right, for a lot of these programs. So unlike a real away rotation where at least you know that you're one of like four or five people uh, that month that they're really going to get a chance to know you personally, this kind of opens up for everyone across the country, which is at the same time good and bad, good in the sense you get exposure, bad in the sense they don't get to know you as well personally. Um, and then there's also the sort of like how do you juggle the fact that like someone who might be interested just simply wouldn't have the opportunity to do so because up until last week you weren't, having, you weren't planning on having the away rotation. So I think everyone's just trying to do the best that they can given the uh, pandemic and no one really knows when the end is going to be in sight or what things are going to look like in terms of medical education. Uh, all I know is that this is going to be a very interesting cycle. Uh, yeah. And so we'll see what happens. Have you seen any conflicting uh, like web webinar dates or anything already? Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure what the exact uh, programs are, but I know some of them that come like once or twice a week, uh, regular times during the weekdays uh, that do conflict with other ones or the aware rotation schedules are such that like, let's say, so there are some four week uh, virtual aways. Yeah. Um, and if you want to schedule, sign up for one of them, uh, you can't sign up for another one because yeah. at the same time and like, let's say they're both about research. And so yeah. you can't for journal club at one place and then also journal club at another place that's around the same time right. or trying to work with two different deadlines, two different sets of residents at two different home institutions um so it's but in a, in a way it's kind of that in a way that's also kind of good because now you're kind of forced to to pick instead of casting such a broad yeah. net way you really have to commit yourself and dedicate yourself to that program at that time so there's also that advantage if you want to put it yeah. that way well a lot of you know a lot of the regional like schools will try to match up dates so that you have to pick between the two uh um i know that was definitely the case when when i applied like especially in chicago and like, you know, you'd have to pick between interview dates between places. I wonder if that's what's, if that's going on too. Like we'll, we'll put ours at the same time, our competitors putting theirs and you guys can pick. I also wouldn't be surprised if people like jot down attendees and cross-reference with the list 
you yeah. know, especially if you, especially if you say you're interested at some point, they'll be like, oh, well, you never came to any of our webinars or anything like that. He's probably not really that interested or she's not probably not really that interested. So, um, I don't know. It's kind of, kind of scary. Unfortunately, I think programs, there's going to be programs that probably do that for sure. And I really hope it's not a huge amount of programs because, you know, like Hercule said, if you're in the, if you're in the ER on a Wednesday and you miss a meeting, and you're busting your butt in the hospital, which I think is probably infinitely more valuable getting yeah, actual definitely. experience. I hate for people to be punished for that. So, you know, I don't know how, to, I don't think it can be regulated, but I do hope that programs keep that to a minimum, you know, like, I don't know. Um, no, so going off of what you were talking about, uh, Asad, uh, I definitely think that that's a thing that a lot of programs seem to be doing this year. Uh, in the sense that a lot of programs, from what I heard, uh, might be trying to have similar interview dates such that you're going to kind of be forced to pick one over the other, uh, which is good because I think another problem that we're going to face this application cycle is that because so many people have not had a chance to have an away rotation, uh, I think they're going to be applying to a much larger number of programs than before because how else are you supposed to pick one applicant over the other if you never even met them? Um, so I think, you know, being more selective about which programs you can go to kind of makes a tougher screen, um, and sort of makes that job a little bit easier. Um, and so I definitely think that that's something that we're going to see more of this year than in the past. So, so for you personally, what in, you know, in this era, how are you judging programs and how are you judging, you know, the things you would normally judge without actually being there, you know, like the culture of a program, the quality of the residents, the quality of the training, all that stuff. It's almost impossible to get an actual perception of this. Well, he wants to go to UTMB because he worked with me. He does. I'm a sick surgeon, so he wants to go where I went. Yeah, just uh, listen to our last kidding. podcast. <laughs> uh, no, that's a great question. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, Jay's kind of right in the sense that this year more than ever, it just comes down to being able to ask people uh, either that are prayerfully or directly involved in some kind of program, like how they liked that program. So obviously this year or this past year, uh, I had a chance to meet uh, three of the foot and ankle fellows and uh, they all went to a different place for residency. Uh, they all were able to talk to me about what they like from their residency programs, whether or not they'd recommend it. Jay is a huge proponent of UTMB. So I actually do think I'll be applying there. Uh, so I think just being able to talk to people about, how they like their program, as well as just finding mentorship from within and seeing where they have contact. So for example, at Miami, there's uh, one attending who is very much involved in uh, medical student mentorship. Uh, and so he's actually the one who hooked me up with my attending at Duke um, and sort of helped me create a contact that way. Uh, and I think just either by talking to current or former residents, talking to attending faculty, uh, I wouldn't really recommend online forums or Reddit or stuff like yeah, that. I know there's circulating, but I think uh, the more you can try to get a chance to talk to people who are more close to the program itself, you get a better sense of whether or not that fit, that program is a good fit for you. Uh, that being said, it's obviously not a perfect match. Like you're not going to be able to get a sense of what the hospital is really yeah. like. You definitely don't get a sense of resident camaraderie, which I think is huge. Um, just by a one zoom interview uh, for a few hours on one day while you're sitting at home and they're sitting at home. Yep. Um, but you know, you got to just make the best out of what you can do. And I think uh, 
you know, it's going to be interesting how people make their decisions. I think a lot of people are going to make their decisions just based on brand name or, you know, knowing someone who went somewhere, stuff like that. Um, yeah. So the best way to make the decision, but you got, I guess you're just going to do what you're going to do. It's gotta be hard. How do you market yourself to a program? Like conversely, how do you, how do you let them know about you? Yeah. Um, and so I think a few ways, right? So obviously if you're able to, one of the things you can do is sign up for those virtual, virtual away. So some of them are more flexible in the sense that like you just sign up for their listserv. They have uh, weekly like top like recordings on topics and either you can try to like tune in live or you can watch the recording at a later date. But as long as you're able to, log in, they probably have a sense of like, Oh, this student must be interested. Another thing you can do uh, for that I've heard is that if you have someone that you uh, that knows you very well, um, who's willing to go to bat for you, sort of asking them to make a contact that way um, and sort of ask you like, hey, I know you didn't get a chance to actually meet this person, but he or she was very interested in your program at the beginning. Um, and I think that he or she would be a great fit for your program um, and you should maybe take a chance to interview the person. Um, much easier said than done, much easier to make those contacts in theory than in practice, uh, especially with social distancing and the not necessarily having an ability to meet the person face to face. Um, but if not those things, I think, uh, you know, just being able to, I guess, uh, have confidence in yourself and reach out to someone, um, who you think will be able to get you in, like the right contacts and then, uh, sort of go about it that way. Are, are interviews are for sure going to be virtual this year? Oh uh, yeah, almost 100% from what I've been hearing. Uh, I don't think any any program is funny on having in person. Even Miami's home program, I think we're just going to have uh, Zoom interviews for their home, their home institution people too. Yeah, that's good. That's going to be really interesting. It's, it's I don't know, Jay, you're going to be interviewing people probably on Zoom this year. What do you think? Yeah. Uh well, I think like I said before in one of the previous episodes, I can't do any physical tests um <laughs> over Zoom, like push-up tests and bench press um but it's gonna i don't know it's gonna be hard one of my attendings uh, jokingly said that we can now record all of our, our interviews and just play it for the whole department and like replay it in everyone's interview and i was like wow that's a that's a whole lot of that's a whole lot of pressure you know if you say if you stutter a few times and the whole department's looking at you but hello jay oh. It's really gonna be hard. I think I'm. Hello. Hey, you're cutting out, bud. Oh, sorry. Um, I think I was just saying I was I was gonna think of some questions that would really allow me to look inside someone's soul, and I don't know what those <laughs> questions are yet. But basically, it's gonna be that. But a lot of it's gonna be. I've always been a big proponent of people that you worked with. Just, you know, if you like working with them for a week to a month, then that's a pretty solid, um, something solid to go by. So maybe when I get back and I work with students at home, you know, I might, I might be a proponent of the ones that I really like to work with. And then uh, I think there's definitely going to be a hometown favoritism this year, which is not, not necessarily fair to programs that don't have a orthopedic department or a big orthopedic department. But, you know, it's probably the best thing to go off of. Jay, are you going to have the same Zoom background for your interviews? <laughs> oh, yeah. This one is of a snake. Do you see that? Oh, I didn't even notice that. I didn't notice yeah. That. I went, I was hiking 
as usual and came across this snake. It was like it's like six feet long or something. It's it ridiculous. We were actually in that water. We were like swimming around in that water, and then this other <laughs> family came and they were like, "Oh, you guys should come out. There's a snake coming your way." We we're like, "Really?" And then we came out, and there it was. And then we let it crawl up this tree and took pictures. Then we poked it, and then we ran away. But it was a uh, it was interesting. Usually, I take pictures of caterpillars and things. <laughs> this is a lot more, more interesting. So, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I will have interesting Zoom backgrounds, but I really, I really do need to think of some questions that will. You know, allow me to actually learn something about the student. Yeah, what's your, what's your favorite interview question? Do you have one yet? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've asked it every week on this podcast. <laughs> what's your favorite bone? In fact, we should ask Akil. Akil, you're a student, but you've done enough orthopedic uh, watching over the last year. And anatomy. You see me operate <laughs> all over the foot. And um, do you have a favorite bone yet? It doesn't have to be in the foot. Favorite. Yeah, it doesn't have to be in the foot. Did you say favorite boots? Bone. Oh, oh boots bone. go too. Bone. bone. Yeah, favorite boot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess my favorite bone. Um, so I guess I have to keep it for an ankle because that would just be a disservice if I didn't. Um, no, you so don't I, have to. Be true to yourself. I'm going to yeah, go what? first metatarsal. Okay. Why? Uh, because for whatever reason, this year I've done a lot of uh, case reports on the first metatarsal, so I really got to fall in love with it. So, all, all the different osteotomies you can do to it. You just never forget your first, you know what I mean? And so that's why. Oh, <laughs> oh there you go. That's, that's good. good. Yeah. yeah. It's a quality student for program directors. He's witty. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, when you're uh, so you're still doing your rotation at home, what are, was it? What are the hours like nowadays, and how often are you going on call? Yeah, so that's always changing. At least maybe it's more specific because I'm in Miami, and so we just keep changing it every single week based on uh, the incidence of COVID. Um, but so our county hospital is completely maxed out in terms of ICU beds. Our local university hospital, the private hospital is also maxed out. The VA hospital is still available, but they don't really have much capacity. And so in terms of hours, it depends on their service. So for example, I just came out, I'm finishing up spine right now, which is for two weeks. Uh, so the hours for that, um, and I also just happen to be paired with the residents who want to go into spine. And so they're taking it very seriously, which is good, creates a good learning experience for us. But I've been getting in around 4, 4.30 a.m., making the list, pre-rounding, rounding, um, doing like wound dressing, I mean, uh, wound changing, uh, pulling drains, etc. going and scrubbing in. Uh, Here we go. Sorry? No, keep going. That's awesome. This, yeah, this is this like, back uh, when I was too, keep going. Yeah. Uh, scrubbing in um, and then just like rounding again, et cetera, et cetera. And so I usually leave around 6 or 7 p.m. So that's that's like a uh, like a fifteen hour or so day. Yeah, so around. probably a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all we take. I about this with mobile. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Your Jay's internet connection sucks. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. 
so so what I was gonna say is that you know while while we're talking about these away rotations and um, or just any orthopedic rotation really, I wanted to get into this because there's there's a post I saw by the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society featuring the advice of Dr. Megan Conti Mika, who is the clerkship director at U Chicago. Seven tips to ace your orthopedic rotation. So I was going to go through these and see what you thought and see whether any of us have actually done these. Number one, show up early, stay late, which is basically what we were just saying. Just because your clinic hours ended doesn't mean the shift is done. There's so much more that can be learned and so many more experiences to be had. Check in with other surgeons and try to embrace the team mentality. You, you show up together, you leave together. Now, I mean, that, I guess that makes sense, right? You're usually there pretty early. I worked pretty late hours when I was on my OAs. Um, a lot of times when you're checking in with the other team, it's like, or other people, it's like a code word for, Hey, can I go home now? You know, it's like, it's like, it's like unspoken, but like, I'm trying to get out of here. Can I go? Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I usually didn't ask when I, at, at the end of the day, like, do you guys have anything for me to do? I would just kind of go sit there and say, Hey, anything going on? And just sit and wait. And, uh, I don't know. What, I don't know. what do you guys think? That's a good, that's a good point. Cause that is kind of also what you say when you're trying to leave. Like yeah. anything I can help with, uh, you know, one foot out the door. Um, I think if you genuinely want to, um, if you genuinely want to be helpful, you, you can go to the lounge and not say something generic, like, is there anything I can help with? You could probably go up to individual people and ask, you know, what, what what are you working on? Is it something I can I can do, or are there any more cases going on, or something like that? Because clinic's probably done by then too, so there's not going to be any clinic. But or you could contact the uh, the day float, whoever's the age or the daytime. If it's still the daytime, and you could ask that person like, you know, hey, you know, I'm done with my OR today. My attending's gone. Uh, I want to see if I could help you with some consults or something like that. So I think just something more specific rather than a general. You know, can do they want to need help? Um, I think that's probably better to do. Yeah. Uh, so at least for, uh, like what we've been doing uh, on our rotation, sort of is. So we've been working till like six or seven p.m. Uh, and usually around then, the residents are kind of cognizant about, oh, you've been here all day. There's nothing else going on. Like you guys should go home. Um, and I think that that kind of it's very resident dependent whether or not that's like you know like a test. Or whatever but I think generally speaking if you've been working long enough and you develop that kind of relationship with your uh, resident uh, I think it's pretty safe to assume that if they're being honest you are free to go home um, but I think this is a kind of unique case for us too because we have two residents who really want to go into spine right now that we're working with the two and the four um, and so usually at the end of the day they just start doing ortho bullets questions and just have us come on and try doing it with them and so that's a great way to sort of get pimped uh, at the end of the day, but also learn. Um, and usually at the end of those uh, questions, it's kind of like everyone leaves, yeah. uh, at least the four leaves and kind of stays and uh, does whatever they need to do. Um, and so I think like developing some kind of system like that or um, have, like talking to the students who are on that rotation right before you and trying to like figure out the expectations of that service uh, really help you prep for that too. So that way, that way, like day one, you come in knowing like, they give you access to the list. So you're helpful right away. And then you know exactly how the service works, how the residents like to be presented to the pace of clinic, things like that. And so I think uh, doing yourself proper due diligence and uh, really being proactive before you start that service is uh, pays like huge benefits. How do you, how do you guys split call? 
Yeah. So we actually didn't even have call up until two weeks ago because mm. they're figuring that out. But the way, uh, so Miami is a very interesting situation because we have 18 of us applying. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, and so the way we did it, I'm not sure how other uh, institutions are going to do it, but we decided to limit it to only those students who are currently on orthopedic rotations. Uh, they will be uh, the ones who are going to get like first dibs on doing, mm-hmm. uh, taking call. And so currently, I think at any given time, there's like six or seven students on orthopedic rotation. And so we, we try to do roughly one student a week. Um, and so, for example, mine is Sunday, uh, and then I'll be on again next time, or Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, for, for us, I guess, I mean, you, got, you might not have this if you, without the aways, but um, if you were on an away, and I guess the unwritten rule was kind of like, whatever whatever number of students, that's the number of people, or like that's how often you're taking call, right? So someone's on every night. So, exactly. you know, there were, there were a couple of weeks where it was just me and someone else and we were, you know, alternating nights doing Q2 on trauma rotation, staying up pretty late. Um, but, but I mean, that's what was expected. So that's what we did. And I don't know, Jay, did you have that experience too? Yeah, my, so I did three rotation, right, one home and two aways. So of those three, one of them was a Q3 call because there were only three students on. So I took like eight or nine calls, like nine yeah. calls that month, I think. And then, and you don't get post call off uh, for students. So, mm-hmm. you know, we would, we would work, I would sleep maybe two hours sometimes and we'd work the whole next day. And then I remember driving home, uh, just kind of hallucinating sometimes on the road, like, oh my gosh, it's a person. And then, oh no, it's just like a little squirrel or something. And <laughs> it's, it's a serious, issue and uh, that's something else we could we could go into but i mean these are these are these are students in their minds and it's it's rightfully so if they have three away rotations this represents their best chance to match right. ortho and always to here they will do whatever they need to do including working all night all day the next day you know not sleeping for 40 hours and you know so Without giving too many details, you know, you've you heard of people that may or may get into accidents driving on the way back. And uh, so this, this system is, is very, uh, is not conducive to safety or health. And that's something else we could talk about. And, yeah. uh, you know, so that's one, one place I was at was Q3. The other place was probably Q4. Uh, but it was interesting. It was an interesting experience because it's supposed to be Q4. And then two guys decided to just kind of, uh, be dicks and sign up for a call every other night. There's a sheet. Yeah. There's a sheet of paper posted on the wall. Uh, with, there's a. It was a monthly calendar, and you just kind of put your initials yeah. on the nice rotating call. Yeah, we had the same guys thing. Decided, uh, yeah, they just alternated the rest of the month. Like last three weeks, or the last like two weeks of the month, it was just two guys who just filled it up. And then, you know, at that point, I was like, this pro. I honestly didn't even like the program at that point. So. I was like, whatever. I'm just. I'm going to take call when I can. But they just. Want so to how did, how did you but, deal with that? Because I know residents residents will notice that kind of stuff, right? Right. Like that's, people that's who are being uberly like, competitive. So so did you did you like approach those guys? Did you try to like talk to them about it? Yeah. Like, so the, I mean, so at being having gone through residency with you and the rest of our class. I greatly appreciate that none of us were overly competitive. We were all out for each other and none of us were just out for ourselves. And I think most residents enjoy working with residents that are like that. And I don't think they want students that are really gunning and going after other students and being uber competitive. So when I was a student, you know, that's kind of what I thought as well. 
I didn't have the experience of going through residency, but I figured like that can't be good for two people to sign up for every night. So I think they left me one night a week or something. I don't remember, but whatever it was, it wasn't a lot. And I, so I did go up to one of the students. I was like, Hey, you know, this, this isn't uh, the way, this isn't a fair way to split it up. And then I remember the student <laughs> told me, he's like, yeah, I know, man, but like, man, I have really bad numbers. I just need to get in somewhere. And my thought was I rotated at UTMB literally before and literally without giving too much detail, um, I was told very good things about my rotation and I was pretty sure I was going to match at least somewhere. Um, so I was like, you know, this guy, number one, he's kind of too, like, I don't even think this is helping him. Number three, he probably needs this more than I do anyway. So I told him that he wasn't willing to give up more call nights. And I, you know, I don't really, I'll, I'll do what I can and I'll butt off when I'm in the hospital. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a complainer. You know, I think if you complain to the residents about it, it's going to make everyone look bad. Yeah. So that, that's, that's, that's what you don't do. I don't know if the right way to do it, but exactly. Yeah. They, I mean, so they want to be able to see that, that, that you can deal with it internally, right? Like you don't exactly. want to. Uh, no, no, I mean, they don't care, right? Uh, what's going on yeah. in the med student drama scene. So, I mean, exactly. it's like deal with it yourself and figure it out. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough situation, man. Like, I'm, I guess I'm lucky because whatever call conflicts we had, we usually just generally, generally worked it out amongst ourselves and kept it pretty fair. Um, yeah. like no one was really tallying call numbers each, but like, you know, it was, it was pretty good at the end of the rotation. So. Um, but going back to your point earlier, there were definitely day, nights that I slept in my car instead of driving, um, just right in the parking lot, fell asleep, woke up, you know, whatever, 30 minutes yeah. or an hour nap that I had and got back to the hospital to pre-round. So tough times, man. Pretty tough. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? Uh, do you think something should be done about that? Cause uh, this, I don't know if one of the traits of a good resident is someone that can function yeah. off 40 sleep deprivation. You know, I'd rather have someone who's functional at 10 hours. Yeah, so now, yeah. We're, now, now we're getting philosoph philosophical, yeah. right? Because, like, what, what makes a good resident? Dr. Dr. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the right answer to that. Um, I, I think there's value in putting yourself in stressful situations and showing that you can get out. Uh, that's probably definitely some of the hardest – hours I've worked ever. Um, yeah, I, think I, I think I grew from it. Um, and I think there's value to that. But then again, when you're, when you're actually a surgeon and you know, you're in a couple months when you and I are going to have to make decisions, we're not going to be doing it on 30 minutes of sleep, right? That's borderline yeah. malpractice. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll be well rested. We'll have all that. But then again, going through residency, there's times where you have to suck it up you don't get a post-call day, you work it up, you work, and you have to be able to prove that you do that. So I think, I think there are more important things than that to look for. Like, are you a team player? Do you have a good personality? Do you work hard? Right. I mean, with the bottom line is that showing that you work hard, right? So you have to be able to show that you can work hard to others. Um, so can it be changed? Yeah, of course. I don't, I don't know what the, the right change is. I don't think there should be like work hour restrictions or anything, but I think, probably the change needs to come from up top and from the residents and from the programs themselves and what they expect. Right. But if a resident tells you go home, get some sleep or at the end of a call night, Hey, you know, it's pretty late. There's not a lot going on. I want you to go sleep for a little bit. You should be able to take that for what it is instead of a resident playing games with you and testing you. Right. Like I know if I say it, I'm not testing you. Like I don't care. Go sleep. 
but I've been tested by residents before and I know because I said, no, it's okay. I'll stay awake. They're like, good. That was a test. I'm like, you're such an asshole. Huh. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Like, hey, there's nothing going on. Why don't you go, uh, go to the call room and sleep? Over there? Like, no, it's good. I'll stay around just in case. I'm no, good. I'm, I'm going to follow you around like a stick puppy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, but, but that's the game, right? You don't know and you never know. <laughs> so it, that's, a, that's a real problem, I think. But what impression did I give you of that program? Where that uh, happened? Like <laughs> the cultural program? Yeah, so it, it was hard to judge because that resident was kind of an anomaly from the rest of the program. Um, mm. And I, I didn't, we, we didn't really get along much anyways, so. Yeah. But uh, it is what it is. Mm. What's, what, was, what else was on that list of uh, oh, how yeah. to do so what? Let's get back to the list. We had a nice little sidetrack there. All right, number yeah, two. Number two, always pre-read. Be sure to pre-read for surgery and clinic the night before and do your best to understand the anatomy and indications for surgery. A patient's chart is a great resource to learn from. So when you enter a surgery, you should know why they're having surgery as well as a general idea of what's going to happen. You can always ask for reading material suggestions from those around you. So I guess, I guess my thoughts on this would be, yeah, you should pre-read, but question is, what do you pre-read? What resources are the best for students are in a way? What do you need to know? Um, yeah, those are my questions. What do you use, Akil? What do you use to read? So I uh, have uh, obviously netters, which I think most med students and even residents uh, use to prepare for uh, certain fields. Uh, and then there's the Handbook of Fractures. I've also been kind of taking a look at that. And then there's a book called Orthopedic Secrets. It's a relatively new book, but it's very good. It's a good, like, uh, short, like, concise summary. Um, and so what I do is, I mean, I've only done one rotation so far, but what I'm planning to do and what I did for spine is uh, the weekend before I start my service, I sort of go through netters once. Uh, and then what I really try to get down is the physical exam stuff. Cause I know they're gonna ask me to do that in clinic right away. And I want to make sure like you can do a good full thorough MSK exam, stuff like that. Um, as well as any sort of physical exam maneuvers that are specific to that rotation. So for example, like First line, like the Hoffman sign, knowing the Waddell signs, things like that. Um, and then sort of furnishing that up with like things from orthopedic secrets and like they have a lot of good questions about things you might get pimped on. Um, and I think that those, you know, like, cause once you start the rotation and if you don't really know uh, what the schedule uh, expectation is like, for example, I thought I'd be like, based on students who are there before me, uh, they were getting out slightly earlier. So I knew that they would have time to read. So that's what I thought the expectation was. But when I would come home from uh, spine days, I would like want, I'd spend like one or two hours awake and then I didn't want to go right to sleep. And so luckily doing that work in, in advance kind of helped me because I was definitely pimped in the OR, uh, especially on anatomy or clinical presentations, things like that. Uh, and the only reason I got those questions right was because I did that work early and obviously you learn from your patients during clinic when you like read up on their pathology when you chart check them when you present them. Um, and so that's kind of the way of like continuous learning. And then I think most uh, orthopedic elective rotations uh, have some sort of end of the uh, rotation presentation. Yeah. Uh, working on that, uh, which I just gave yesterday, like that's been a good way to sort of bring everything together uh, and really showcase your knowledge that way because some attendings might not even have had a chance to really get to know you yep. uh, the entire rotation until that one meeting and things like that. And so being able to make a good impression that way 
So I think all of that is peripheral learning, right? Like if you learn from the patients, you learn from the surgeries, you learn from reading at home and you learn from making presentations. Um, and so at the end of the day, if you've been consistent in terms of your knowledge base or at least your work ethic and willingness to learn and read uh, throughout the entirety of the rotation, I think that the residents pick up on that and then they relay that to the attendings and then that showcases itself in the letter of recommendation or whatever manifestation you want to have of that. So I think uh, just being consistent about it and being intentional about it, I think regularly and not letting yourself slip off, uh, I think is a very important thing. Yeah, I, I used to carry around netters or handbook with me. And right. uh, that, I mean, so when I said earlier, like at the end of days, when I would, you know, kind of, or end of a day when I would just kind of go sit around and wait, that's what I would do. I would go find a desk or something and just sit there. And even if I wasn't reading it because I was tired, I would just have it open and pretend like I'm studying. So, you know, I would be there available if they needed and I would look like I'm actually doing something. Right. Hey, so what do you do nowadays as a student? Because so much is online, like OrthoBullets is a great resource. So if you're sitting there waiting on your phone, on OrthoBullets, legitimately trying to learn, but you look like you're just on your phone on Amazon or Twitter or listening to our podcast, <laughs> OrthoTalkPod, um, which is the best online resource out there. But like, definitely not. Do students struggle? Like, do students struggle? Like, oh, should I read OrthoBullets on my phone or is it going to? look like I'm slacking off or, you know, I wonder if students wonder that. I think they do, especially based on the type of attending you have. So for example, without mentioning any names, uh, actually, you know, I'll make it even more general. So there are certain older school attendings uh, who are used to a certain kind of decor and uh, they're like throughout all these generations, they're used to a certain type of uh, etiquette. And so I think people learn like in front of them, on rounds or in person or whatever, you shouldn't be on your phone at all. Um, and you should just like always like, just make like, obviously you should be working, but you should make it known that you're not slacking off or anything. So for example, today, when I was at clinic earlier today, um, everything I would try to do, cause I use orthobolus for almost every single patient to try to like help me figure out what I'm going to present to my attending as, um, for this assessment and plan. Uh, I always do that on the desktop. And if I'm ever on my phone, it's always briefly in between patients or right after I presented to an attending just to look at my text or my, my DMs. I get a lot of DMs, obviously. Uh, and then I go back. And then, or like at lunch, I'll check it then because uh, I'm usually with like the other med student or with the residents and they don't really care. Uh, but whenever you're around the attendings, I think even the newer ones who are like relatively younger and like probably more okay with it, I think it's always best to just around the side of caution um, unless it's something urgent, obviously, in which case go for it. Uh, but I think it's always best to at least look like you're uh, paying full attention, even if you are just looking at the bullets or AO surgery reference on your phone or something. I think whenever possible, try to make it more obvious or like use the computer, and so that they that that way they can see what you're doing too. Nice, yeah. So have have a fake prop that you're reading. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, great, great advice. Yeah. My last thing, thought on this topic before we move on, um, I actually didn't like netters very much because. Netters anatomy has so much anatomy and you're preparing yeah, for a yeah. certain case tomorrow. You don't even know what's important. There's basically every structure is on there. Um, so what I liked was Hoppenfeld surgical approaches. If you know the approach you're going to do, that book's got everything you need to know about the approach anatomy wise. And you mentioned the AO surgery reference for trauma cases. I thought that was a great resource as well. It covers the approach. It covers theory of fixation and reduction. Um, it's got stuff on uh, why bridge plate uh, versus other types of plates and What's a lag screw? How does that work? It's just got all the basic stuff on there and very specific to the type of case you're planning. So 
Uh, those were, if I had to choose two, re three references, it'd be those two plus worth of bullets. Were you carrying uh, around Hoppenfeld's that giant ass textbook with you? I wouldn't carry it with me, but I would use it the night before to oh, meet okay. the approach. I mean, or, I mean, if you want it as a prop, like, you know. Because I would totally you judge you if, if I was a resident and you were carrying Hoppenfeld's. Yeah, well, I, I definitely didn't do that, but uh, you, you judge me all the time anyway, so. <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, what? No, I, I heard that too. Like a lot of uh, people did recommend using Hoppenfeld, but I yeah. think there's a PDF or something you can find circulating. Well, OrthoBullets has a pretty good approach section too, uh, if you're does, you know, yeah. cramming on your phone. So they'll, they'll highlight it. You know? That's really what they're going to ask you is what nerve am I worried about here? Well, what is this that I'm trying to avoid? So that, yes. that's what the question is. All right, number three, get involved, exclamation mark. Do your best to be a team player, even though it might feel a bit awkward to be the low medical student. You're still an important part of the team. You're there to learn, so don't act like an outsider. Take the opportunity to get involved with patient care. What do we think? I To me, that screams have ace wraps and split material ready and be ready to hold an arm or hold a leg while they're prepping. That's I mean, that's what that's what that says to me. Do you think, yeah, do you think, um, so everyone's got different personalities. Some people are just more outgoing and bold than others. Everyone's first few time, first, first few weeks and months of the operating room is, is foreign and uncomfortable. I don't care who you are. It's a new environment. You're not born, you know, you're not born with the uh, awareness of how to conduct yourself in an operating room. But there's certain people who have the personality to be more bold to run up there and hold the leg or to run up there and help position the patient. And for other people, it takes longer just because of, you know, their personality style. Is that something that should be uh, considered when you're judging them? Because obviously you want, you want the student who's helpful. You want the one that's hundred percent. You all have students that are too helpful. Out. That's the one you want. Like, like, right. like, for example, I was covering a football game. Jay, were you? You might have been at this football game. Oh yeah, we were yeah. There. yeah we, were we were covering a football game, and you know, I, I had covered a few of these before. This was when I was we were Chiefs, I think, right? Um, I covered the yeah. last year, so I knew the trainers, I knew I knew the players and stuff, um, and I was pretty much the only one, I, the the most senior person there. The attending wasn't there. Player gets injured, goes down. I go I go out there with the trainers, med student who was not with us. I think it was with the family medicine side of things. Starts running onto the field, sees the guy like grabbing his ankle. Says, "Oh, that's terrible!" And like, like, just freaks the guy out. And, just, and you know, we had to—I didn't yell at him, but um, the family medicine people had, had to tell them to yell at him. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely be too helpful. Definitely too helpful. Yeah. So that kind of goes—that uh, kind of goes to number four. Number four is read the room. Asking questions is an extremely important part of learning, but make sure you ask them at the right time. Surgery going awry, residents looking stressed, maybe save your questions for later. Basically, don't be annoying, right? So that that's the real question is how are you personable without being annoying? And the the real answer is that that line changes based on who you're talking to, right? Some people this just is, don't have a threshold. What's that, Jay? Yeah. No, I was just going to say this This is like probably one of the most important skills you can have. And, it's and the, the hardest. That people talk about, and the hardest it's hard to work on because you don't, you don't really know how you, how you're perceived by others. It's really hard. You know, the best thing I can say about this to help students is try to recognize where you fall on the spectrum just naturally of being too helpful and too aggressive or not helpful enough and too passive. 
try to recognize where you are on that spectrum and try to deviate yourself toward the middle of that spectrum. And it's, it's a really hard thing to do. Um, but I think that's, it's one of the more important things. It's silly as it is. Uh, that's what people are going to a lot of times judge you on. Uh, this dude, if you hear residents talk amongst themselves, you know, everyone has been through residency. We've all been there. Oh, so-and-so, you know, he's too, talks too much, too annoying. Or yeah, so-and-so, they're really smart, but they, they kind of just stand there. They, they don't really do anything. Um, so it's, it's oftentimes it's not easy or fair, but at the same time, one of the most helpful things you can do for yourself is to figure out where you are on that spectrum and try to shift yourself toward the middle. Yeah, let me I'll add a couple of things to that. One, I think first impressions are really tough to break. So mm -hmm. your first week on service, keep it low key. Like, like yeah. play it low, use that week to get adjusted to personalities and get adjusted to the, the people around you. And then week two, if, or if you have a week three or four, that's when you can kind of figure out, you know, where, where you're going to be. And the, the second thing I was going to add is I think actions will speak a lot louder than words on these rotations. So nobody's going to remember, oh, he asked a great question here, or, you know, he, 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 you know, talked about this. And I remember that no one remembers that they remember what you do really. So, um, my the advice I got and I think is pretty good advice is find the person directly above you and try to take their job. So if you're if you're a resident or if you're you're a fourth year med student, find the intern or see what the most junior resident is doing in that case. And then your your goal is to beat them to that job. So if they're holding a leg to prep, get there before them and uh, you know let them go be uh, more senior. So that I think that was a pretty good piece of advice that someone gave me. I forgot who, but it probably wasn't that resident that I didn't like. And I think just uh, quickly going off of what Jay was saying, I think uh, one way you can gauge as a med student, because it is very difficult, I think, for a lot of the med students to be so self-aware and introspective that they know exactly where they fall on that spectrum. Because everyone likes to think that they're the best thing ever, uh, which everyone's guilty of. But I think one way that you can figure that out is throughout your third year rotations, you get the like clinical evaluation of the narrative uh, from each rotation that uh, while it is based a lot on your knowledge, it's also based on how you interacted and performed in the wards. And so sort of getting some feedback from your faculty that way uh, throughout the course of an entire year will give you a sense of like, was I doing too much or was I doing too little or was I doing everything right? Um, and sort of mitigating that and navigating that such that by the time you're a fourth year and relatively more polished and used to the way that the wards work, you should have some idea of where you generally tend to fall and uh, work however you need to in order to sort of grow that middle line that Jay was talking about. Yeah, good, good advice. All right, number five, take notes. Write down things you hear during clinic surgeries or rounds. Make sure to look them up later. You carry having the same turn, blah, blah, blah. Look, I, I didn't take many notes. I think this is kind of silly. Uh, I took notes during lectures to look like I was busy and to keep myself from falling asleep. I'll be honest. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's all I have to say. Dave, Akil, what, what do you guys think? Um, I didn't take a lot of notes as a med student either. Um, to be honest, when I still remember to this day, you know, I, it's been seven years since I was a med student. I still remember to this day the exact questions I was pimped on and what the answers were. Probably 90% yeah. of, of the questions I got wrong. The ones I got right, I, I don't remember. Uh, but the ones I got wrong, so like, it's just. Uh, I didn't really need to take notes because I was so mad at myself for yeah. getting questions wrong. It just stuck in my mind. And like, so here's I, a question, Jay, cause th this is what the, I think this is what the point they're trying to make. How many of those questions did you miss twice? 
yeah very very few like hardly ever you know I'm, i missed one and i remember it to this day it was yeah someone was asking me what nerve to watch out for during uh basically a, a distal fibula or if and yeah. i cannot remember what side the superficial perineal was on so i missed yeah. that one don't make me tell you again <laughs> but, uh, what about you Akil? are you are you a great are you a better student than us two with taking notes yeah. Uh, Not particularly. I think uh, the times I do take notes is mostly for like, let's say and suddenly ask me a question, uh, either trying to pin me or just a question during uh, when I'm presenting a patient to clinic and he either asked me something that I don't know or asked me something that I just forgot to incorporate during the uh, patient visit. And so in order to make sure that he realizes that uh, I know that not to make that mistake again, I will write that down in a note thing in front of him, like when I'm, where I take the rest of my patient notes. But almost never do I have to actually refer to that because I think the feedback that I get from them is so ingrained in my head already yeah. that I don't make that mistake again. So exactly what you guys are yeah. talking about. But I think in order to make the attending realize that he's taking this like seriously, yeah. uh, probably good in practice to do it. Same thing as like, oh, don't be on your phone too much in, in front of an attending, that kind of thing. I think it's more for them, but also like you're not going to make that mistake twice either. Yeah, it's a perception thing. Right. All right. Number six, always dress appropriately. Even if you see residents wearing scrubs with sweaters, remember that who wears scrubs with sweaters? Even if you see residents oh, wearing scrubs with thing. sweaters. No, no, no. Like uh, Patagonia's, like those kinds of sweat. Like it's a new thing. Oh, okay. I, mean, I, wore, I wore a scrub with hoodie, but I, I guess that counts. I don't know. Okay. All we're we're going off track. <laughs> remember yeah, that as a medical. Dollar. Oh, look out for uh, ortho uh, top pod swag. Oh, yeah. All right. Remember that as the medical student, you're going to be evaluated in professionalism, although dress code may vary from institution to institution. A white coat and business clothes never hurt. Keep a spare business casual outfit in your locker. Sometimes or days may end early and you'll end up in clinic. I, uh, I honestly can't remember if I did that. I, I know. I think I kept some in my car maybe to change into. Um, but it just depended on the rotation where I was. I don't know. I guess it's a good idea. I, I would never fault a student for, you know, dressing, dressing business casual. I don't know. I agree. I think, uh, even if either your resident and attending are in scrubs in clinic, if you're dressed in, you know, short white coat and, um, you know, some kind of professional clothing underneath, I don't think anyone's going to accuse you. I've never heard anyone accuse a student of like, oh, they they dress too, you know, too professionally, you know. And yeah. I think you can start out like that, and then one day the resident might say, just just wear scrubs, and that's that's an okay sign to to just do that. And then you can just start matching matching the rest of the team. So I guess uh, you know to be safe, I would say probably some kind of professional business business casual uh, attire. Yeah, so for us, uh, the way that we figured that out is so by asking the students who are on the rotation before you, either earlier that same year or a previous year. Uh, so, for example, on spine, uh, our attending really liked us to, or in the past, really liked us to always wear a white coat and uh, professional like clinical attire, literally all the way up until you would scrub into a case. Um, so even if you're only around like one patient in the morning, and then going straight to the OR, the expectation would be you would keep on the white coat and the professional tire and the tie and everything right until you squint to the scrub room and changed. Uh, however, that is very attending dependent and resident depending on what kind of expectations they have. 
and how uh, strict they are about that. But at least for us this year, and I think maybe other med schools incorporated that in light of COVID. Um, but before this year started, the expectation was that no matter what your rotation is, just wear scrubs because they're easy to change into and out of, and they're easy to be washed and worn uh, multiple times. And so once that expectation was set into place, it made it a lot easier for everyone to be on the same page and no one had to second guess or worry about that. So that was kind of nice. That's cool. That's right. I have a one, one kind of point I want to ask you guys. So, so nowadays, you know, there's these, these cool scrubs, uh, form fitting, uh, called figs, which weren't a huge thing when I was a student. So if you're a student and all your residents and attendings are dressed in hospital scrubs, which are, you know, old, loose, baggy, and you got these shiny, uh, figs that are, you know, tailored fitted and, um, form fitting and just like, you know, you look like you should be on GQ or something like that. Uh, should you wear your figs, which would make you stand out a little bit? You know, they're not matching colors, maybe they're just so, you just look so clean or should you just kind of go, you know, or does it even matter? No, hell no. Well, you can't show up in in figs. <laughs> you can't. I I I I roast residents that show up in figs. This is the thing. Like students at UTMB, students are literally all just getting figs. Like a lot of them going into dermatology or OB/GYN. Like they're they're figuring out. I'm telling you, this is the thing. They they just think they look fly in figs, and um, they're wondering. So I don't know. Uh, should no, they wear? Though, in my opinion. The only people that should be only orthopedic surgeons that should be wearing figs are if you own your private practice in the surgery center and you have like your name embroidered on them, that's fine. Whatever you're making the money, who cares? Or if they're sponsoring you, that's it. If they're paying you or you're in dermatology or OB/GYN. Right. What if you look nice in figs? I mean, so, so, so Dr. Summerson, I didn't ask him, but he's known for wearing figs, right? I wanted to roast Shout him. out Dr. I, Summerson, our number one fan. I wanted to ask him about it, but I honestly forgot. So <laughs> I don't well, know. We'll ask him next time. He's on the pod. Yeah. Bottom line, students wearing figs you are going to get judged for better or for worse. Yeah, absolutely. I would not. That's been a phenomenon in Miami too. For whatever reason, that wasn't a thing when I was a third year. And then I came back this year and everyone's also figuring out. Um, but in terms of, yeah, I would never try to do that if my residents and my attendings are not also on board with wearing the same, not only fake, but the same fake color. Uh, I just think reform, I think I would much rather let the residents shine and look better than me, uh, which isn't hard. But then I would just choose to just wear whatever the hospital scrubs are because that's just safer. Yeah, you, you, know? don't, you don't want to be remembered for the guy who wore fakes. You want to be remembered for being a good student and fitting. One, yeah, one thing I will recommend, though, because uh, he's, he's now, he already graduated. He's in residency now. But one of my friends when I was a third year, when he was on his authority, he was super buff, uh, probably still is. Um, and what he would do is, so he would just order medium scrubs, even though he's huge. And that would be like sort of his form fitting kind of thing. Uh, it wasn't exactly the best move because a lot of people were kind of off put by that, but at least it was better than wearing fakes. He was still he, wearing hospital scrubs. It just was so tight on him. Or whatever. Is he, is he on this podcast? No, he's not. Oh, he's not. <laughs> That that uh that move is only pulled off properly by a true professional, um, really jacked person. So that's probably why it wasn't well received. He probably wasn't as buff as he needed to be. I agree. <clears throat> that wasn't me. <laughs> no, 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 not you, not you. I'm talking about the guy with the snake on the tree, <laughs> who would get so, size small oh, scrubs and show off his buddy. arms. 
funny story too. Today, um, I got you know I had blood on my scrubs, so I, you know, usually I change anyway. So I changed my scrubs as I'm walking out of the hospital, and they're out of size like one through six. So I go to size seven. And it's like a quadru it's like a quadruple XL. So I put them on, and I, I barely fit. Like my whole body is about to fall through the neck hole thing, and I'm walking out, and basically all my scrub techs that see me walking out, they're like, oh. I thought you were some high school kid. It was, it was, it was kind of weird. I never wore scrubs that big before. But anyway, they were not figs. All right, last one. Number seven, trauma shears. Just have a pair of trauma shears on you. Yeah, sure. That, that's a good idea. Have ace wraps too. They help. Yeah. So one thing I, yeah, one thing I found this year is that – so I heard you should have trauma shears and marking pens at all times. Um Luckily, I did, but I did not realize I'd be using them on non-trauma services. And maybe this just because Miami has a lot of trauma in general. Because yeah. even day one of spine, I was scrubbing into trauma cases that had nothing to do with the spine. But having trauma shears and marking pens did end up being huge because they were just asked for every single day, almost without fail. Um, and so I would say just like no matter what your orthopedic service is, just have them yeah. because residents remember when you do have them and they definitely remember when you don't have them and for whatever reason that sticks out so yeah definitely have them just be prepared okay two questions from this uh, topic and then uh, we probably should wrap up but uh, number one promise shears doesn't matter what kind they are because i remember when i was a student there's another student rotating his shears look like they were like made out of legos like they were like uh, <laughs> green and uh, orange, you know, they just look like the cheapest thing ever. I made fun of them for it, but, um, you know, does that matter? And then on the other hand, there's trauma shears that are $100. Uh, you know, Dr. Foreman's got these really nice shears. Um, is it okay for students to have these really nice ones? Is it okay for students to have ones that look like they came from Legoland? So I think, so... I'm just personally going to show you guys mine. It's like, it's like pretty standard. I think they're like ready. Yeah. The yeah. real yeah. deal ready happens right now. during a podcast. It's <laughs> the real deal. Yeah. So I'd like to just show you guys really quick for those of you who tune into the video instead of the Spotify or iTunes or whatever. If you buy these clips, which come with the shears and you put the shears in the clip and then you clip it onto your scrubs, you just always have them and they're, they're plain black. So no one's going to be like, Oh, he's figuring out. And so you just carry them with you at all times. Um, as, along with the marking pens, which are also like 10 bucks on Amazon prime. Um, and just always carry them with you and you're set. Like just, yeah. I, I would not try to toe the line. I would try to be very much inside that line and just carry the plain blacks for uh, trauma shears. Yeah. We uh, somehow I, I ended up with like a couple pairs of the OR uh, bandage scissors. And I just, I kept those on me. I found like one really good pair and uh, some resident gave it to me. So it wasn't stealing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, last thing, what about, uh, so it's good for students to be prepared. I remember there's always that student or that junior resident who brings like a satchel bag and he's got like every supply you could ask for. Oh, do you have two inch tape? Oh, do you have four inch <laughs> tape? Oh, six inch tape. And uh, yeah, it's great that they're super enthusiastic. Do you all think that's maybe overdoing it or, or what? I okay, so I think that that's oh, that's great if that's just what the student is like. But I think if the student's trying to do that just to be like over prepared and trying to like suck up to the residents or something, I think that the residents are able to pick up on that, especially given the duration of their rotation. So, like, let's say one student is just super prepared and the other student is also prepared, but they don't carry around a huge bag like all the time. 
uh, but most of the time they have what they need. Uh, I think that both their students are fine unless it looks like one is just trying to undercut the other. Um, so I think just setting the expectation with your teammate early on um, and like what you guys are saying, like don't, uh, don't try to be like a gunner or try to like, you know, be like sabotaging or whatever, just try to build each other up. And I think that's probably the best way to go through these rotations, at least as med students, um, because I think that way the resident likes both of you uh, and you both look prepared. That's good advice, man. That's great, great advice. All right, I think that's all the time we have. Is that right, Mo? Yeah, we're we, we're pretty over, so we're good. Yeah, all right. Well, Akil, the real deal, thanks for spending this hour plus with us. Yeah, and, appreciate uh, it, man. Best of you. No, thanks for having us. Yeah, we will send this to every program director we know. So, like one, <laughs> which is only like one. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I'm, uh, I'm gonna end up at UTMB, so this will be perfect. So thank you. So much. All right, thanks, Akil. All right, real deal. And that'll do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to listen to all of our other ten episodes on our website, www.orthotalkpod.com. If you like the podcast, do us a favor, leave us a five-star review in whatever podcasting platform you are using to listen to these. Uh, It really helps us out in the rankings and search features. So uh, leave us a five-star review. If you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at Twitter, at OrthoTalkPod, or email us at uh, theorthopodcast at gmail.com. Hope you guys are enjoying what we're doing. We got more for you next week, and thank you for the opportunity.